Welcome to our casting of Get Assigned. I'm Chief Master Sergeant Dan Connor, your Command Senior Enlisted Leader, Oregon. This podcast is an effort to provide our Oregon National Guard service members with a sign from me and the Adjutant General's Office before you step into the metaphoric batter's box. I plan to discuss with you the pressing issues that are upon our enlisted service, as well as my leadership perspective. I'll also conduct some interviews with our great citizen soldiers and airmen to help gain insight and share best practices. So turn up your listening device and join me for what I hope is an educational and valuable few minutes. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. Doctrine provides a common frame of reference across the military. It helps standardize operation, facilitating readiness by establishing common ways to accomplish military tasks. Doctrine links theory and history, experimentation and practice. Its objective is to foster innovative and creative thinking. Military doctrine is the fundamental set of principles that guides military forces as they, as they pursue national security objectives. More simply put, doctrine is an overall statement of how principles as to how forces are used at any stage. It describes how a force operates or how an army fights. Strategy describes the overall approach to achieving the goal. In today's episode, I hope to encourage you to seek a more comprehensive understanding of national and military strategy and doctrine. Today, I've joined with Lieutenant Colonel Brian Kroller, the current A-8 Director of Future Missions here in Oregon. Colonel, could you please tell us a little bit about your career? Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I enlisted in the Air Force active duty in 1993, and as a... uh, target intelligence specialist. First assignment was up in Minot Air Force Base in 1994, uh, working the single integrated operational plan or the the nuclear uh, targeting for the uh, B-52 missions uh, against, at the time, our post-Cold War adversary, uh, Soviet Union. From there, I went over to England uh, and Europe, where I spent a lot of my time working tactics and analysis with the European tactics and analysis team, Uh, also going to Turkey and Saudi Arabia, uh, supporting a lot of uh, no-fly zone operations. Then I joined the Air National Guard in Missouri in 1998, uh, again as an intelligence analyst and got commissioned there and moved on to the Oregon Air National Guard in 2008, uh, where I remain today. Thank you, Colonel, and thank you for being here. I understand you have created an up-to-date future missions academics. Uh, what is it that encouraged you to create these academic lesson plans? Uh, the, the effort to build up-to-date future mission academics began when I realized many of the senior NCOs and the field grade officers um, were challenging themselves to connect strategy and doctrine Uh, to their purpose, to their AFSC, or even for uh, the soldiers, for their MOS. And and I feel that's for many reasons. Uh, Over the past two years, a lot of us are having trouble connecting uh, our purpose in the military to the contributions uh, we all make in the Oregon National Guard and defending our freedom. Uh, 
For some, it's a lack of connection with other members uh, due to teleworking uh, or the current domestic operations and federal requirements that we are trying to support today. So what I really wanted to do was put together some 101 level uh, academics that can truly empower a soldier or an airman in the Oregon National Guard to connect to what we're doing to the why we are doing it. Great. Hey, thanks. Uh, tell us a little bit about the framework of, the, uh, of these lesson plans. So I wanted to create it in kind of a crawl, walk, run uh, kind of framework, starting with really knowing your purpose. And this was an idea that was built after uh, some members in the intelligence sections at the 142nd Wing up in Portland uh, conducted some current intelligence briefs outside their operations group or really to their primary customers. So we started providing current intelligence at the classified level uh, to any members of the maintenance groups that work with the F-15s uh, or to the mission support groups that really provide the, the backbone of uh, supporting an air wing. And we had a lot of follow-on questions uh, after those current intelligence briefs. And what we came to realize was that many of the members didn't really have anything to compare their job and their daily battle rhythm to. So, for example, when we talked to the, the maintenance group, we talked about comparing what the F-15 engine can do for the maintainers in the engine shop to what a Russian MiG engine was like and how important it was to maintain a healthy engine fleet to respond against a real-world example like a Russian Tu-95 Bear bomber uh, coming towards the West Coast on the 4th of July in 2012. And we could have very well have had two F-15s hundreds of miles out in the Pacific Ocean uh, escorting a potential threat. And without two engines, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, if one goes out, you're in trouble. If two goes out, you're in a whole lot more trouble. So I tried to provide an authentic connection, uh, a connective tissue, if you will, between how important their role is to the national defense strategy or the national security strategy, not only for the safety of the pilot, but also for a much larger um, theme, for example, homeland security or protecting the United States against the existential threat. Uh, like Russia, even what we're seeing in, in Ukraine today. So from there, I realized if I can continue on with this effort and let them know how important it is, and it's not just engines, it could be avionics, it could be our defenders and security forces, and it could even span over to the Army side of the house when you're talking about engineering battalions, infantry, brigade combat teams, and their role playing in the, the larger picture that it, it's really that genuine connection that says, okay, I now understand my purpose, my role, and my place in the much larger picture. Colonel, listed in the first area within your syllabus, I noticed that uh, strategy um, and your contribution to national security during our PME route, uh, as we grow through our PME uh, as enlisted members specifically, we're introduced to national strategy, and it's, it's very abstract and often intangible, as you say. 
What are the challenges that come with defining national strategy? The challenge is, is that from our level of detail and what we are required to do, it's very hard to connect six or seven levels up onto what our civilian leadership ultimately wants us to do. So I think the best way to crack this nut is to try to correctly define what doctrine, strategy, and policy is because a lot of those terms are used interchangeably. And if you know what the definition of those are, it's much easier to kind of break down and, and decode uh, what the Pentagon and the Department of Defense wants us to do down to um, the, the, the company level or the squadron level, uh, which is our primary fighting force in, in the Air Force. Um, so doctrine is essentially your codified best practices, and it is truly the foundation of a successful military and how to carry out the objectives of our not only civilian leadership, but our military leadership as well. Um, I essentially paraphrase it as the wisdom behind what we do. And if you look, again, as another example of Russia, our acute threat or media threat, in Ukraine right now, um, what's the wisdom behind their doctrine? Or what's the wisdom behind their strategy, which defines how the operations are to be conducted? It's the knowledge. It's the continuous process. And I bet there's going to be a lot of discussions in the Kremlin about maybe try to, on ways to modify uh, their doctrine, their objectives, and, and their strategy. And most importantly, the, the policy aspect of it is directive in nature. Um, for example, rules of engagement. So that's going to be the policy that is implemented by the strategy of our senior leadership dictated by our service doctrine and our national security and national defense strategies. So how does all this generic doctrine and strategy talk translate into real-world scenarios? Well, you need a little bit of ba historical background on what each one of these documents are. So, for example, the national security strategy is actually a fairly new concept. It was mandated through the DOD Reorganization Act of 1986, uh, the uh, Goldwa Goldwater-Nichols Act. And what that essentially dictated was for the president or the executive branch to lay out um, their goals, their, their strategy and what they want. So obviously it's going to be changing uh, from president to president or from administration to administration. And it began in 1987 with Ronald Reagan and his national security strategy uh, was basically themed around what are we going to do post-Soviet Union. So there are ways in which we can improve our military, in which we could continue to spread freedom to break down and erode what the Soviet Union once had. Then comes President Bush in 1991, and now you're looking at a truly post-Soviet world, and how are we going to implement our goals and objectives around the world from uh, economic prosperity to continuing uh, to promote uh, global economics and also trying to bring in some of those countries uh, into organizations like NATO, for example, that is going to make Europe and the rest of the world more, more secure. 
Then comes President Clinton, where you had a somewhat large strategic peace in the world, but Bosnia, Herzegovina comes in, Kosovo comes in, and you now again have another issue that is uh, essentially on European soil. From there, you go to President George W. Bush, and the whole world has changed post 9-11. So his national security strategy primarily focused on terrorism as, as the number one threat, and that continued over many years. Uh, then comes President Obama, and there are some changes in transition from how we fight terrorism to maybe shifting towards a more strategic pacing threat like China or Russia that was continued by the Trump administration. How do we actually do that? So now with President Biden's national security strategy uh, is a completely new way in which we're going to look at trying to balance all of the challenges that we have in the world. So the national security strategy is kind of what starts it all. It's the bottom of the pyramid. From there, the Secretary of Defense creates what's called the national defense strategy. And that is how we are going to implement the executive level's goals and objectives. And then it just goes down from there. So where I really feel the rubber meets the road is our service doctrine, whether it be Air Force or Army, where that actually lays out um, lines of effort and things that are actually tangible for us and our senior leadership, uh, both on the enlisted side and the officer side to really carry out. And that's where I feel we could really start to see that connective tissue between what we do in the Oregon National Guard and what our civilian leadership and senior leadership at the Pentagon is asking us to carry out. Yeah, exactly. It leads right to my next question, which is how Oregon will support all of these plans. So having a really good understanding of your service doctrine, whether it be Army or Air Force, uh, and also National Guard doctrine, which uh, is, again, uh, a thing. It's going to be how the National Guard is going to carry out the national defense strategy. Or more accurately put, there is one additional strategy below that called the national military strategy. And that's run by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So that's going to be the military document that is going to justify how we carry out what the Office of the Secretary of Defense wants and what the president wants. So if you kind of look at doctrine and our strategies holistically, um, it is connected. Uh, but by design, it starts off as extremely generic and all-encompassing, and then it gets more specific as you continue to go on down. So for the Oregon National Guard, where I feel... Uh, it truly connects us to national roles and responsibilities is through the Oregon Military Department strategic planning approach, which is our take and the adjutant general and command senior enlisted leadership's take on what exactly the Oregon Military Department is going to do to support that effort. And and to be clear, it's not just Oregon Military Department. It does also include the Oregon Emergency Management, which is an, an amazingly important partner, especially when it comes to domestic operations and joint operations. 
Going back to uh, academic plans, can you tell me more about the outlines? Sure. So I, I broke out this effort into essentially five chapters. And I wanted to take a crawl, walk, run approach to it. So at the end, you had all the correct information in order to, which I think is the most important discussion point, is, is knowing your career, how this all fits in with your careers, whether it be your, your goals, your TDY schedule, deployments, training, PME, promotion, uh, and your work-life balance, essentially. So chapter one is really knowing your purpose. And those topics are going to include strategy, everything from national strategy down to uh, Oregon National Guard strategy or Operation Noble Eagle, which is our mission up in Portland to have aircraft on alert, uh, protecting the Northwest from any type of air threats. The next chapter is really knowing your partners. And I feel this is one of the biggest misses we've had over the past couple years. Uh, how many soldiers know what the Air National Guard does and vice versa? Uh, how many airmen know what the Oregon Army National Guard does? Do they know they have nearly 50 armories all throughout the state compared to just really our two air bases in the state? How about state partnership program? Uh, we play a big role in that. We have two countries, Bangladesh and Vietnam. Uh, there might be a lot of people who not only speak Vietnamese or have a good understanding of Bangladesh, but how could we support their efforts to shore up their military and, most importantly, diplomatically uh, close, closen up our ties with them? Uh, the third one is really knowing your adversaries. And this is the intel uh, nerd in me coming out. But what do we know about Russia? What do we know about China? Free of all the disinformation and the blogs and the inaccurate information that's out there. What about fighting in the Arctic? Uh, there's going to be a lot of areas of responsibility that we're going to see ourselves in in the 21st century that we're really not used to. Or that maybe our grandpas and grandmas supported. I could see us island hopping down in Macronesia with new F-15EXs. Or what's the army going to be doing to supporting South China Sea operations? Believe it or not, there might be a lot going on right there. Uh, protecting the homeland against China and Russia. This is the one that keeps me up at night. In the past, it was primarily a kinetic threat that we had existentially. But right now, how do we deal with non-kinetic threats? How do we deal with an actual nation state perform in a cyber attack against our critical infrastructure? And how could we as the Oregon National Guard support that? How could we have very secure, true elections uh, that, that doesn't necessarily cast doubt on, you know, our democratic voting process? The Oregon National Guard actually plays a role in election security. Uh, chapter four is really knowing our opportunities. What truly is the realistic look at the future of warfare? Artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, the F-15EX may have a future mission capability of manned, unmanned teaming. And that means the F-15 actually in real time working with uh, smart 
unmanned aerial vehicles uh, making a four ship. So you could have one F-15EX and you could have three unmanned aerial aircraft controlled via machine learning and artificial intelligence by either somebody in the back of the jet or the pilot in the front of the jet. And we just increased our fighting force size by a factor of three that costs about 75% less and has much less risk in terms of attrition. So I really feel that information is going to be what is, is going to be the big game changer for us in knowing our opportunities. If you look at the 20th century, our main power came in mechanical prowess and technology. But the information age right now is going to be what wins wars. Uh, I feel that the, the, the team that adjusts most quickly to an adversary's actions is going to be more important than ever to win in the war, especially in a contested and a degraded operational environment. Um, there, there was a really interesting quote uh, that I read in, in Washington, D.C. recently uh, from somebody pretty high up in the government, and it, they were talking about air power. And they said that information, a set of agility, becomes the lifeline in air combat electronic combat and, and network warfare. Thus, it involves an information advantage, capacity, volume, and speed. There will be the most important power that decides victory or failure in a future air war. So when you read that comment, you think it might come from the chief of staff of the Air Force or from the commander of Air Combat Command, but that actually came from the chief designer of the Chinese J-20 air superiority fighter. Uh, gentleman named Yang Wei. So they get it. And the Chinese are really catching up with our doctrine and the importance of reliable information in a 21st century war. Uh, the, the last chapter is really knowing our future. Uh, what's the force mix of the future? How is Army multi-domain operations going to connect or be integrated with the Air Force's way of communicating, such as uh, our advanced battle management system. The Army has a, a future program called Project Convergence. So how's Project Convergence going to talk and communicate with Air Force systems? And I feel that's going to be our biggest challenge, but if we conquer that challenge, I think it's going to really make us more of a force to be reckoned with than ever before. Um, there's a lot of discussion in knowing our future in the state with the F-15EX, uh, which is a redesigned F-15 that has about a 20,000-hour service life compared to an 8,000-hour service life with the F-15C. Uh, it could carry hypersonic weapons, or it's at least um, programmed and designed to do that, and provides us a whole lot more air-to-ground support and also an increase in range in, in, in many aspects. Um, but it really ties up again after knowing our future with knowing your career. It, it's my number one goal to try to authentically connect that what you're doing is in support of a much greater good and that you are that important to not only our Air National Guard mission and, and Army National Guard mission, but for our federal commitments as well. Thank you, Colonel. That's uh, 
So as you can see, this can get really pretty deep. Um, it's important that we understand some of the details of our doctrine and the current strategy and how it ties into what we do, what we currently do, and what the future is for the Oregon National Guard. I hope this discussion inspires all of you that are listening to seek a deeper and a more comprehensive understanding of doctrines and strategies, and understanding our purpose uh, will inevitably motivate and lead to mission success and and maybe the next new offset, uh, which uh, sounds like it could be, you know, forms of communication or speeded forms or, or more efficient forms of communication. I appreciate everything you do, sir, and thank you so much for being here with me today. All right, so if you're an Oregon National Guard member and you're interested in these academics, you can reach out to Lieutenant Colonel Brian Kroeller, K-R-O-E-L-L-E-R, using the global or use your chain of command uh, to get his contact information, uh, and he will either share those academics or... uh, or have someone maybe uh, uh, help you through those and, 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 and help teach those courses for you. And with that, I'll close the book on this episode of Get a Sign. In closing, I'd like to thank the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office producing this podcast. Never forget, every soldier, every airman, a leader. This is Chief Connor signing off. <laughs>